This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. It is our penultimate episode covering the wise man's fear. Chapters 146 through 148. So only three this week. <sighs> Just so we could squeeze out one final episode. Gotta do it right. To be fair, I think we did Name of the Wind in far fewer episodes. This book will end up being 30 episodes. It is a monstrosity. Yes. A tome. A tome. <laughs> So it's no surprise book three is just going to be so difficult for Patrick Ross to get out. I know. When it eventually comes out, though, so much content. I cannot wait. Well, think about how much he's got to put into book three. Yeah. Like, there's so many unfinished things. We don't know who the Sleeping Barrow King is. We don't know who the Princess Quoth Saves is. We don't know anything about the four-plate door, how the final confrontation with the Shandrian is going to go down. Where does he meet Bost? How does the Fey Realm spill into the regular world? Eventually, how the Waystones get activated. How does he become Coat? So much. So much detail. Doesn't he get expelled? Oh, well, I guess he's technically been expelled. I think it's going to be the beginning of book three. It'll be like right out of the rip. And then I'll be like, okay, into the meat and potatoes. I think it's going to be a fast-paced book. One thing, too, that a lot of people tend to forget with Patrick Rothfuss is it's not just the content. Like, the way he articulates and structures his sentences and passages and chapter titles are very well thought out. Yes, you have something to say about that later, too. Yes. In the um, chapter with Denna. But even, like, before, in all of Kavos' conversations with Florian, like, they were speaking... In in, song-verse rhyme. In song-verse rhyme. Or, like, there are certain sentences that have certain numbers of words or words that sound similar. So that's a lot of effort to go through. Plus, you have all the connections with Eax and Jax, Mere Terennial, and then yeah, like, all, the all the words and the purpose. stories that all interconnect. Like That's so much to keep track of. It is. So I am so willing to wait in order to get the quality that is expected and deserved. Absolutely. Plus, we've been reading some really good books in the meantime. <laughs> we have. One audiobook that I'm nearing completion on with Anna is The Ascendant of the Crane. By Joan Ha. It's her uh, debut debut novel first one she's put out it is phenomenally written i think if you like the king killer chronicles i would highly recommend that book as well there's a lot of hidden meanings in the writing there's a very complex deep history in the world that she's created and the story itself takes a lot of twists and turns but it is a standalone book so it's kind of nice that it's not a huge commitment in terms of the size compared to King Killer or like other fantasy series. I'm not sure who the narrator is for the audiobook, but absolutely fantastic. Just gives such a depth and warmth and personality to every character, and it's just really enjoyable. She's really good. Really, really good. So highly recommend that. There is apparently some sort of controversy where Joan Ha has not been getting paid for her book because of her there's a loophole in her publishing thing. So we just rented it through our local library. So if you are interested in getting the book, um, definitely make sure you buy it through the correct publisher and not the one that's been illegally selling it. Oh, that's, that's so frustrating sucks. and heartbreaking, yeah. Yeah, I was just looking that up. Oi. All right, before we get into the last, second to last episode, time for question. Yes, I thought of, or you thought of a good one this week, and it was, we're going to take turns explaining if we were characters in King Killer, who would we be and why? Which characters are most similar to? Correct. Okay. So, do you want to say who you think you're most like first, and then I will... I've picked out who I think you're most like. Yes, and I've picked out who I think I'm most like, and then we can... Should we say it on three? Yes. Right. One, One two, two, three. Simon. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, clearly we agree, it's Simon. Yes, I know. It just... I have no poker face. I wish I was, like, cool like a both, but I'm just a happy-go-lucky, earnest, kind-hearted person. I think that's definitely what sums you up a lot. And Sim is very smart. And there's that line where it says, like, people mistake kindness for stupidity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you were first starting in the medical field, that happened to you a little bit. Like, you were very nice and outgoing and friendly. And people definitely kind of walked all over you when you were starting out. Oh, for sure. 
and that I felt was a parallel. But I feel like Sim is just such a good friend. He is always there with like kind of a bad cringy joke, but he like really loves his friends and is supportive. Loyal and just wonderful. And wears his heart on his sleeve. And that's very you. Yes. Also, to quote Kvothe, he's a diamond in the rough. (laughs) Just like the scene where Kvothe comes back and Simon like cries and hugs him is something you would absolutely do. Oh yeah, for sure. You're not like cool, calm, and collected like Will is. No, but I did get my Fela, so. (laughs) Yep. You're so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Did you have any more you wanted to elaborate on? No, I just really enjoy our characters and it's sad to turn the, the cover on them soon. It is. All right. Do you want to say who we, who I'm most like? Yes. All right. One, two, two three. Fela. Ooh, Ooh. Change. <laughs> Different. Okay. Why Fela? Okay. You are very analytical. You are very organized. Beautiful. But um, most importantly, I think you are just very grounded and convicted and you always speak your mind. Interesting. Okay. I felt like I was more like Mola because I, I feel like I'm definitely more of like a just buckle down and get it done and like work hard and a little no, no nonsense sometimes. And I feel like Fela's a little more like fanciful like when she's like, oh, you're like my Prince Gallivant or what Gallant and like gets kind of swept up in things. I think in the right circumstances, you do a love a little more romance, but mm, okay. <laughs> I think you are like feeling the essence out. With the right people, you let your true self out, where Mola is a little bit more reserved, and that's not really like you. I used to be far more reserved. Yes. So I think that's why I tend to see myself that way. And I like Mola's dedication to her studies and learning and working really hard in the Medica, and I, I feel like I really like school, and like when I was in school, I really liked working hard. and The grind, if yeah, you will. Yeah, I really like that, so I, that's why I picked her. I wish I was like Debbie because oh, she's, she's a badass and she's cool. She's like all independent and on her own and very clever and witty. But I just crumble in the face of a comeback. So <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> that's it. I knew you had it in you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not me. No, that's okay. But that's funny. I d- thought we were going to pick the same characters for both of us. Mm. Whatever. Nobody here is an Ambrose, so we're okay. No Ambrose is here. No Ambrose is in this house. Shall we get into it? Uh, let's. All right. Chapter 146. Failures. Kavoth fails out of school. The end. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a dream. The end. Oh, no. I would be so mad if that's how the book ended. Could you imagine? No. No, no, no. No, no, no. And then there's a gentle tapping on the wagon door. And Abinthi pokes his head in and says, wake up. It's time for lessons. I would throw my books down the toilet. <laughs> I would be livid. Could you imagine? What a sad trope. (sighs) No, that's not what happened. Kavoth actually has re-enrolled back in school. Yes. And unlike his previous semesters where he has grinded really, really hard, he has time to try different classes. Yes, and it doesn't always have to be such a hard grind to stay above water with his tuition now that he's getting his... Tuition paid for by Mayor Alvaron, so... The stakes are a little lower. Yeah, he has a chance to indulge himself. So his first indulgence is trying to learn Yilish. Extraordinarily complicated. Mm. So he does talk about how he learned enough Temek to defend himself during that trial at the beginning of the book. But there's at least parallels between that and Aetorin, whereas Yilish is old and very complex and like a completely different language route. So he said it was very, very difficult. He's studying with the chancellor, but he's only learning a couple of words here and there. Like, he's not picking it up. And the story knots are even more complicated. So he doesn't really make any headway there. So I think that's going to be a clue in the next one that, like, Denna's going to have to unlock those for Kvothe. Right. Also, the main reason why Kvothe started to study this was when he encountered the lockless box... Yes. He considered that the very faintest scroll work or carving on the box itself might have been Yulish knots. It could be a number of things, I think, because he suggested that that's really the only option for what those could be. So I think in the third book, in order for him to open the box, he's going to have to 
figure out the story knots, and those might lead him to some sort of name or naming that would open the box. But the only way for him to decipher those is to get the information through Denna, because she's so far the only character who understands the knots. Yes, and she might only even have a vague understanding. So there's a lot to speculate with that. Maybe the reason she's learning them from her mentor is because they know that they're on the box. Like, why would she be learning these? They're so Mm, esoteric. I think that's a stretch for them to even know about the lockless box existence. Mm, Okay. To me, that's too much of a stretch. I think it might just have to do with her roots or her family's roots. It's a very rare language, but I think part of it's a fortunate coincidence, but not necessarily for a directed purpose. Okay. I'm not 100% convinced. <laughs> no. I <laughs> think there's a lot to speculate. But there's a lot we don't know. In theme with the chapter title being failure, um, another one of what Kavoth is considering a failure is taking the class of advanced chemistry. He really enjoys the tactile nature of the subject, you know, with the uh, acids and mercuries and the apparatuses and the bottles and tubes. But the actual approach to chemistry is far more boring to him because it's constant dictation and writing and charting and noting. And I think he just likes to mix all the tinctures together and yeah, he wants mess to around. And Anisat the Giller is not into that. He wants everything to be very clear and precise and more note-taking, like you said. So they end up... They have a full blowout in one class and that's like the end of it. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of Fela, the other class Kvothe takes because Fela enjoys it is mathematics, and he does not get into that at all. Like he says, he likes words for what they can accomplish, not like just words for the sake of them being there, and it's the same for numbers. He's just not really into it. Yeah, he doesn't really like it, and so no harm, no foul, because fortunately for him, since his tuition's covered, it's not like he's ruined. Exactly. He does end up spending a lot of time in the fishery. He makes another bloodless, which sells immediately. Mm-hmm. He also spends a lot of time in the archives and the Medica. Um, he writes an essay on how Arrowroot doesn't work, so that's a callback <laughs> to Gran in the town with Crin and Ellie, how yes. she's saying Arrowroot's not a helpful herb. <laughs> another thing that Kavoth does is spend his time romantically. So he has all this experience from Faloria now that he is putting to use he thinks he's older and wiser, so he's getting some, catching the eye of some women, but most of them are pretty brief. Obviously, we know his heart is with Denna, but he does flirt around and mess around a little bit, and he's just kind of killing time. It's the end of the book. There's not a lot going on anymore. <laughs> yes. He does mention how Sim and Fela are deliriously happy together, so. I'm glad for them. Yeah. He does know that he has, like, not a lot to offer. Like, Sim at least has some sort of means. Kavoth himself has a loot and half an education. <laughs> yeah. But another thing that comes up while he's in the fishery is this talk he has with Kilvin about Caesora. And I think this is pretty interesting. He starts by asking Kilvin if there's a metal that can withstand hard use for 2,000 years because he knows that Caesora, with its lineage, is probably that old. He's trying to get to some sort of information about Caesora's origins, essentially. Right. And Kilvin does give some information saying that there are oddities around the world with certain things that knowledge is lost over time. I'm wondering if these are things that came from the Fae. So they have a different set of rules to them. I think so. Or different magics imbued to them without grammar or yes. um, runes, so to speak. So... Mm-hmm. Kind of like the shade. Yes. Behaves differently. Different laws of physics apply to it. And Kilvin even shows him one of these things, this old magics that he has, which is yes, the warding so stones. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they essentially create like an invisible barrier, and it's very impressive and exciting. However, they don't know how it works. Where at least Kilvin then remarks how, although this is really impressive, we can't replicate this, but we can replicate your bloodless invention, so... Focus on that. Yeah, focus on the feasible and the attainable. Yeah. He also says that there's a lot of old things that they can't fathom or make use of, and I feel like 
that kind of reminds me of the Waystones and the Greystones. Like, they're there and they surround these people all the time, but they don't really understand what they are or what they do or how they work. They're just sort of a relic from a past time. And I think Kavos going to definitely, maybe in addition to Caesora, stumble upon some more of these old magics in the third book that may or may not be helpful. But it is kind of interesting to note that these things do exist and Kavos hasn't encountered that many of them yet. Right. That'd be really cool to see some of these magics or... Like, I think the ever-burning lamp that Kilvin is searching for could be one of those magics he's hoping could exist. Yeah, I hope to see something cool. Some fey magic in the mortal realm, so to speak. Yeah, because they're going to have to do something about those Skrael eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's becoming a bit of a problem for Coat. Yeah, they need to up their uh, items here. Mm-hmm. Another part of Kovolt's semester has been his studies with Master Elodin, and at least in this direction, he's starting to improve. Elodin still has his crazy tactics, though. Yeah, like he's getting him drunk. And Making him stay awake for five days. At one point, they decide it's a great idea to experience a storm dead on. So they go onto the roof of the archives and strip naked. And But then the key was in their pants pockets and the pants blow off the roof. So they're stuck in the middle of like an intense storm overnight, completely naked. And <laughs> literally have to spend the entire night. And the next day, people have to like break down the door to like rescue them. And of course, like Kavoth says, within 15 minutes, everybody has heard this story. It is absurd oh yeah catches like wildfire the rumors are just flying around and it's so funny however Kvothe was able to steal the wind for the first time in a long while so that's the thing that he did at the sword tree test so he does it again up on Stonebridge. he also sees the name of the wind while he's in the archives and he just like gently guides like a gust of wind through the entire area I love that it sends the Scrivs into a panic because it's a completely sealed off right. block of a, a building. And so to have like a gust of wind, even just like a, a breath of wind in this building is unsettling. And I love the line, I held the certain knowledge that should I wish it, I could stir a storm or start a thunderclap with equal ease. The knowledge itself had been enough for me. Right, like now he knows he can do it. Yes. And most importantly... The third time pays for all another quote used throughout the story. It is. But this one is such a an ominous way to end this chapter. Mm. So he's like, these aren't really mind blowing compared to the times I've called the name before. But the third time pays for all. Yes, yes. Chapter 147. Debts. This chapter is Kavoth's redeeming chapter. Yes, yeah, he is great. shows so many good qualities in this chapter compared to how bad he was on the road. Not bad, but like erratic and irrational and brash he was on the road. And in his return to the university and his return to his home and his family, he remembers who he is and he starts to treat his friends better and like care for those around him. Whereas when he was on the road, he was just losing himself. Yeah, he's definitely kind of making a mess of things. So it's actually really interesting that he makes his way back to Tarbian and yes. visits some old haunts, so to speak. He says he's been gone for two years, but it feels like a lifetime ago. And even as readers, it feels like far more than two years. He's accomplished and experienced so much in such a short amount of time. It definitely feels like a lifetime ago. And it's funny where as he's traveling through, it's like, did it always smell this bad? Had it always been so dirty and like... He had been in survival mode with his brain half shut off, just starving and on the brink of disaster for two years. And now he's living in relative luxury. Yes. Of course, it seems horrible. But, oh, man, despite all this, he does make his way to Trappuses. Yes. That sad basement where all the children go for help. And it was a very poetic moment here where he tries to give Trappist as much money but he only takes a few talents to like not draw attention and then he oh, I think you forgot the like most heart not heartbreaking but like heartwarming part is that Trappist recognizes him immediately yes not as Kavoth from the stories not as someone fancy with clothes but as like 
Kavoth, the boy who came and needed help. Yes. And he says, I loved him even more for that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Trappus is like just a small father figure for him. And it's so sweet. Yes, it is. It's super endearing. And it's nice that Kavoth goes to some apothecaries and brings back supplies that would help other children. He spends the whole day just helping and then such a selfless gift. And I think this is why Kavoth really like turns the table of his actions here is that he spends the afternoon like taking care of Trappist. Like he gives him some shoes and stockings. He massages his feet, which are all swollen from like walking in the damp, cold basement. And it's just a really, really nice thing to do. Symbolically, I feel like I know it comes up a lot in the Bible and I think in other types of stories too, but like washing somebody else's feet is seen as like the ultimate act of like service. Yes. So for him to repay Trappist in that way is really paying thank you to everything Trappist did for him because he wouldn't have lived otherwise. I agree. And it's really kind. And so as the afternoon moves on, you know, some of the ragged children begin to arrive looking for food or help. And obviously, Kavoth doesn't belong there. <laughs> Sticks out like a sore thumb. And I just love this line. You know, he knows that if he stayed, there'd be trouble. So sometimes the only thing you can do is leave. It's definitely the right thing to do in this moment. And yep. it kind of reminds me of his conversation with Gran, where she's like, sometimes the right thing is a hard thing. Yes. But then he gets some small vengeance. Yeah, so he does something really good and then just does something shitty again. <laughs> I don't think this is too shitty. No, it's just a classic feud. The ever, ever going on feud with Ambrose. Yes. So, fancy old Kavoth now stops at a cafe and gets some drinking chocolate mm. and writes this letter to Ambrose. <laughs> so. Essentially saying that he had gotten someone pregnant and that the child is his and that he needs to fulfill his gentlemanly obligation. And then he signs sort of a shaky initial that could be an R or a B, and then he flicks some water on it to mimic tears, and then it could even be an F or a P, or even an E or a, a K <laughs> for both. <laughs> yep, he seals the envelope up, he walks all over it, gets it nice and dirty, and addresses it to Ambrose. Ambrose at Bellany Baron. And that's a hint for the fact that the city underneath the university might be Belen, one of the seven cities that fell. Yes. Because of the name Bellany and Belen, which would indicate that the Underthing is one of those cities that fell in the creation war. Correct. Small details. Oh, yeah. He hands the letter off to like a, a homeless guy. A homeless man. So it gets like all like smudgy fingerprints on it. <laughs> and then. Then he takes the homeless guy's hat and heads over to a couple of sailors where he negotiates them to purchase it off of him to get it to the university. Yep, they have a little bit of a back and forth until Kavoth is like, oh, well, it's for Baron Jackass' son, like, he'll pay a lot to have this letter. So he gets it passed off. He ends up returning the hat to the bald old beggar and giving him three coins in addition to that. So his small vengeance on Ambrose is about to get rolling. Yes. While he's there, he decides to go to a nice tap room. It's not the most fancy place, but it's no little hole in the wall. And while he's there, he gets his clothes laundered and gets a nice bath. And he selfishly wants to hang out in this particular bar so he can hear stories. About himself. The vanity on this boy, <laughs> I swear. He do does love a good story. So, apparently, Kavoth the Arcane knows a word that will stop arrows dead in the air. So, you can tell that that's coming from the arrow catch and the development of the Bloodless. His story about defeating the Dracus comes through and gets swept up along the way. And it's about him killing the Black Beast of Trayvon. He has a cloak of shadows. Which isn't far off that Florian made. So, as he's sitting there listening, he's just absorbing all this gossip and fancy full stories about himself and a young couple comes in shatters the illusion of like this kind of peaceful time because they're having an emergency the young gentleman is like frantic he's explaining how this young woman can't breathe kavotha immediately leaps into action 
you know, assesses a situation where this shrill gentleman is like, are you a physician? What's going on? Step aside. And of course, the woman's like trying to scoot away from this guy the whole time. Like he's not being helpful. No, he's just kind of like gawking and doting. So Kavos very take charge. He's like, you get a physician. You take that man, go over there. You do this. And then he turns to the woman. She can't breathe is what's going on. I don't know if it's an asthma attack. I don't know if it's an anxiety attack. It's an asthma attack because it's mentioned way earlier, big reveal, that the woman having trouble breathing is none other than our Denna. Of course, she always shows up in the least expected of times. And if you read the passage carefully, everything he says to her are words of seven, starting with, you will be fine, all is well. That's the first thing he says to her, right? Yep. Next, he says, you need to look in my eyes. Another seven. I need you to breathe for me. And that's when he calls the name of the wind, bringing the breath of life back into her. Ooh, third time pays for all. And it's so cool. I love that. Ultimate flex. Like, it's subtle. It's beautiful. And I just, even the description of it, it's so poetic. It's so good. And of course, Denna... When she comes to says, I need you to breathe for me, that's seven words. They have a very like, you know, in Star Wars, when Han is about to get like frozen and Leia says, I love you. And he just says, I know. And just doesn't say I love you back. And like, I feel like that's their dynamic there. Yes. Where like she could come back and be like, oh, my God, thank you both. You saved my life. And instead, she just says like something witty that only means something to them, which is like, oh, that's seven words. Yes. That's just kind of the vibe I get from them. Yep. Now that Denna is doing a lot better, everyone's just kind of like reeling in the moment. One of the sailors that Kavoth had ordered to snatch up that gentleman, he's, I think, playing more into it than he realized where he's like, you know, I felt like there was like a... Something in his voice, like there was something strange. Yeah, I felt like a puppet on a string being pulled and, you know, he snapped into action. But people have now already put one and two together. Like they saw... Kavoth with his red hair and his cloak saw what he did with Denna and like you know another Kavoth story is just about to be born. Yeah, like people exactly. are already talking about it. So Denna and Kavoth decide to leave the hubbub and they find a small corner in the back of the tap room to catch up. Yes, and there's a really cool part here where Kavoth's looking at her hair and he recognizes it as a yellowish knot. And so when he brings his fingers across, he says, "Your hair." Lovely. And Denna, of course, because men are always trying to compliment her and flatter her and are always saying just over the top nice things about her. She's like, seriously, flattery? Like, that's... After all this time. Like, we have more than that. Our relationship is more than that. And Kavoth is caught off guard. He knows that Denna doesn't like that kind of behavior, so he stutters and stammers until he realizes, no, the braid is a Yilish knot that says lovely. Yes. And she's like, ugh. Almost frustrated that, you know, her little secret is known. Right. She's like, oh my God, of course. Is there anything you don't know? Of course you know how to read yellow shots. Yes. Now I feel silly. I feel like that'd be like if you just wrote like pretty across your forehead in makeup. Like, yeah, of course it's going to feel silly if somebody knows what that means. Right. So she undoes it. And again, points for Denna where Kavalt is like, oh, you didn't have to do that. I liked it better before. And she's like, well, that's rather the point, isn't it? What, she undoes the braid? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, it's for me. It's not for anybody else. Yeah, it was like her own little little secret. Yes. Kavoth also asks her if she's he's keeping her from anything. And she's like, oh, just that, that guy I was with who came in with the emergency like at the beginning. And he already left. So he's definitely not a stand-up kind of guy. Nope. Squire Strahota, you stink. <laughs> <laughs> you st- boo, you stink. Um... Denna starts sort of complaining about how men are... Still clinging to that book. Yep, still following the same rules. And Kavos like, oh, they didn't get any... They didn't have gotten any better. And she's like, no, instead of instead of flowers, now they're trying to give me rings and give me gold. And they think that in giving those things, they're trapping me or like buying me. And then you thought they were quoting a play. I thought they were just flirting. But they have this sort of back and forth about how... Kavoth is saying, like, oh, they're trying to buy a thing that they know can't be bought. And Dana's saying, like, oh, but you can't excuse them, Kavoth. No. And it's 
saying how gold can make a chain as well as iron, and there's a quote that says, You must forgive these men of mercenary thought, these poor rich men who, seeing that you can't be caught, attempt to buy a thing that cannot be bought. And then Dena applauds, saying, A plea of grace for enemies, which I'm pretty sure she's indicating either a play or a story. I thought she was saying Kavoth was making a plea of grace for the enemies. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But yeah, because then he's like, oh, well, they don't continue to quote things. He's just saying the men are giving gifts to try to buy you and you have given me gifts. Like you can't really fault people for trying to give gifts. Okay. Because we know that she bought both the the loot case. Right. And he's got her ring back at home. Yeah. Which he, this would have been a perfect time to give it to her. Well, maybe not actually, because she's complaining about men giving her rings, but (laughs) yeah. I take that back. Maybe a terrible time to give it to her. But yeah, he does have the ring still. He has not returned it to her yet. Mm. So she basically just says she missed Kvothe. Yes. They decide that they're going to leave this little area. They're done in the bar and they're going to spend a little time catching up. Yes. Um, we forgot to mention at the beginning of the chapter also, when he got to Tarbian, that Kvothe went back to the shoe shop and the tailor shop and made right with those two people that he took advantage of in name of the wind. Yeah, so he makes right with the clothing salesman that he terrorized. And then the man who gave him the free shoes. Yes, which was actually a very kind, generous gift. I think this chapter was called what? Debts? Yes, so he repays his debts. Repays everything. I feel like he has a clean slate now with basically everyone. Yeah. Except for maybe Abanthi. Uh, one day. I really, I really, really hope really, they really cross, cross paths. Yes, I hope they do too. Chapter 148. Stories of Stones. Kavoth and Denna riding back to Imre via caravan. And they are just catching up. And he's telling her about Ademre. She talks about how she went to Tinue. So we know that that's actually a real place. Mm. I know I brought it up because it's on the map in the book as well, but the time that, so that they reference it, it always seems like a turn of phrase when they say, like, all roads lead to Tinue. So we don't know why she went there, but we do know also that the Lacklaces at one point controlled Tinue as well. And Tinue always appears in stories as if it's not really a real place. It's just funny that it's, like, actually on the map. Yeah. It is interesting. So we don't know what she was doing there, yeah. but I have a feeling Kavoth will also eventually make his way to Tinue as well. Mm-hmm. He catches her up about everything that happened with the mayor. He tells her a little bit about the Adem, but they do not discuss their fight that they had in Severin. Nope, they don't bring up the patron, and he doesn't bring up anything about Felurian. I think it's a good move here. And Denna probably knows about the story because she does talk about, you know, his rescuing of the girls from the bandits by flipping it around and joking that he rescued bandits and killed virgins. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even pick up on that when I was reading it. Yeah. (laughs) Clever, clever. So those stories are medium well known, but Florian is like famous right now. Because of the song. Right, so... She definitely knows, but she's being decorous enough not to say anything Mm. because I know that they know they would just fight about it. And so it's tough because there was so much unspoken and tension build up and, you know, awkward silences here and there that by the time, you know, they arrive in Imre and he drops her off at the Boar's Head Inn. They just kind of quickly are like, well, bye. Yeah, he's like, see you later. See you later, bye. (laughs) And then classic Kavoth when he's home, he's like, idiot, I should have said this. I could have done that. And like just replaying it all over in his head. Which sucks because he was so good in the moment when he saved her. Yeah. And called the name of the wind to bring her back but yeah awkward silence because they just spent too much time together i think it could have been a passing interaction and then the time after that would have been better but it just dragged on too long Mm, i agree the next day you know kavoth goes and has breakfast with uh simon and fela and goes to classes at that point he decides he's gonna change and uh uh Fenton beats him three times in adept sympathy. Oh, you're right. Important detail here because Kavoth is clearly too distracted in his own head yeah, about the dentist situation. He's all heartsick. Preoccupied. Lovesick. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. And just worried about his awkward goodbyes and everything. So he decides that he's going to make it 
better. I think he thinks he's going to go fix the situation. So as he goes off to see Denna, he leaves the shade behind because he, or he changes the shape of it because he doesn't want Denna thinking of Florian. He grabs Denna's ring. So now it's the time to return it. And it's so funny where he makes his way towards the boar's head in and he barely has a chance to find her where she's already there with a basket for lunch and dressed in a nice blue dress. And he's like, whoa, one, he found her when he was trying to for a change. And two, two she's ready to hang out. She's not yeah. with another man. I think he's overthinking the night before. Yeah, he definitely was. So they decide that they're going to have their their picnic. They end up in a small dell sheltered by the backs of trees. So Kavoth had found this little secret place. They end up getting out of town and they're having their picnic. And Kavoth is like, I've been waiting to show you this little spot. These flowers are so pretty. And so I think that it's like, it's really coming back together. Like he, th- he felt the situation got out of hand the day before, but like this is very romantic. It's very sweet. Yes. It's not like, oh, I bought you flowers or brought you a bouquet. It's like, I found this secret spot with flowers and I've been waiting to show you them like growing here, which is something Denna really appreciates. And then classic with their brand of humor. He goes, oh, I wanted to show these flowers how pretty you are. Oh, I missed that too. <laughs> yep. So it just... I'm clearly not picking up on their jokes. No, it's all good. <laughs> I just am over dissecting every passage all the time. No, that's fine. Um, so they end up sitting next to a gray stone next to a stream, which brings us sort of to the secret of stones, which is the chapter title, because Dana asks him about the secret of the stones. But I think it's also a reference to like the stone in the ring that Kavoth is trying to return. That's a really good point, because originally when I was thinking about the secret of the stones, I, my mind originally went to the waystones or the gray stones or like the core of their rocky relationship or, you know... Why they can't ever seem to get their timing right. Yeah, and I, I I think the secret of the stones is all about, like, like men are giving Denna jewels and gems and jewelry, and Kavoth has this ring that's, like, he has it right now, and that's a secret to Denna. Denna has this ring that's important to her, and why it's important is a secret to Kavoth. And then the meaning behind giving of jewelry is very complicated with Denna, so I feel like that's sort of like a secret in and of itself. Amongst all these secrets, I feel like Denna is trying to tell Kavoth that she's still a little hurt from their last interaction back in Severin. Right, because she says, do you know the secret of stones? And then she tells this story about a boy and a girl who came to the water, which I am pretty sure is a reference to themselves, and how they're tossing stones. And then the boy tosses the girl aside as if she were a stone without any thinking of how she might feel. And she also says, is it a sad story? And she says it moves the stone, it moves when she thinks of the boy. Kavolf doesn't know what to make of this, but I think this is Denna's kind of cards on the table moment of she cares for him and she's still hurt because they had this fight back in Severin. They both disappeared They found each other and he did save her, but in that time apart, she'd learned a lot of stories about Kavoth of how he spent time with Florian and rescued girls. And I think she felt like she got casted aside. Right, because she she says that like it knows the feel of motion, like the the touch of the boy throwing the stone is like their relationship because she felt that once she now has trouble like staying still. So when she thinks about the boy, she moves with the flow of water. So, like, this is an explanation for why she's always moving, I think. And it might be Kavoth, but it might be all the men who have hurt her. Yeah. Or, like, there may have been someone before all of this happened that, like, initially is why Dana's by herself. Like, we're not sure her origin story. So, it could be this happened to her, and then she got close to Kavoth, and it happened again. But it is very veiled speak for her being open about herself. In a way. Yeah. Porkavos does not know what to, to, to make of this story. I know. And it's hard to because like there's no he wants to say and do the perfect thing. And it just it's not attainable. There's so many like layers of metaphor here. I think it would take a while to parse out and come up with an appropriate response. And I don't think Dennis is just looking for him to say, oh, I'm sorry. 
No, that's too too simple, too forward. Like, I think she wants Kvothe to know that she is hurt and she's still hurt and Asari's not going to fix that. No. So instead, what Kvothe talks about is how Denna knows how to listen to stones. I think she actually maybe has a little bit of, like, naming ability here, potentially, or, like, she can kind of hear. She's a good listener. Right. She's a very good listener. So she tells Kvothe to listen to the stones and so he's holding the stone up to his ear and he's like, oh, you know, because of Elodin's classes, I know like what to do in a silly situation like this. And he's closing his eyes and the moment is broken because Dunna pushes him into the water. Yeah. And so they kind of start going into like a splash water fight and, you know, it's all fun and games. And as they are kind of like wrestling in the water, they both become aware of like how wet and close they are and so they get all bashful so they end up going out and like laying and sunning on the stones denna strips to dry herself off so kavoth is like having one of those moments of like uh, will we won't we what do we do mm-hmm. uh it's very similar to name of the wind when they have that moment where the pig guy comes because they're in the stream by themselves that's right and it's a, a parallel here but Kavoth is like looking at her and she's spreading her hair out to dry. She's laying. She's not naked. She's got like her underclothes on. She, he's like looking at her basking in the sun and he's saying like Florian herself couldn't even have been as lovely as this. So like, you know, he is just head over heels for Denna. Yeah. Just absolutely like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> He lays next to Denna and asks her what the stone that they're laying on is telling her. And she is talking about how it's. It lives in the water, but it's not a fish because it's like in the stream. Yep. Um, so she does have kind of an interesting perspective on things. And almost the way she describes inanimate objects sometimes is similar to how Ori does. I was just going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah. Denna's got more to her than we know about. Yes. Yeah, she's definitely more introspective than we give her credit for. Right. Because she's always just like putting on a show with men. But she's got a lot of uh, she's very keen and very clever. Mm hmm. And so they're having their little picnic on the rock. Kavoth is feeding her strawberries and they're just having a lovely time. But there is a weird moment where Denna says yes. And Kavoth's like, yes, what? And she's like, whatever you're about to ask me. And he doesn't know what he's like. Should I ask for a kiss? Should I ask for more? Is this a test? Like, I'm definitely overthinking this, but, like, what do I say? He doesn't want to push the boundaries too hard, but, you know, he obviously just is so infatuated and in love with her. He just is trying to contain himself. Right. So he's overly polite and just asks her to scooch over a little bit so he can sit next to her. It's like Dennis says, like, he never pushes. And I think sometimes she wants him to, but also it would break whatever this, like, kind of tightrope situation is that they have where they're walking this very very fine line yes. all the time and thankfully because Kavoth doesn't push he does say that like for the first time since their fight like things feel better between the two of them yeah the tension's definitely subsiding a bit and so he decides it is time to bring up a subject that he was holding on to bringing up while lounging Kavoth notices that Denna has bruises on her legs and he's about to offer a way out of her patronage with Master Ash, but before he can even get into approaching that subject, Denna notices the scars on his back. I forgot she'd never seen them. No, I mean, granted, this is the first time Kavotha is shirtless in front of her, and that's why she was kind of blushing before. Yeah, but I guess I assumed she knew about them because... His whippings were fairly common knowledge at the university, but because she's outside the university, I guess she just would never know. No. He says he caused trouble at the university twice, and they whipped him for it. And she's like, well, why would you stay? And he mentions that there are things that are worth knowing that he needed to stay for, and that he's not easily chased away. And in this moment, he's kind of like foot and mouth, what the heck? For all his careful arguments that he was going to prepare for her to leave Master Ash. He literally just said the same thing. That she's doing. So how could he then ask her to go away from all this? Right. Like, he's doing the exact same thing. Like, sometimes you have to pay a price. And then they get back to their joking and flirting because he says, oh, I'm not easily chased away, like, away from the university. And Dennis says, yeah, you're not very chaste 
the girls are saying that about you. Yeah, she even implies that he's out to decimate Imre's population. Oof. Which, you know, Kavos probably went on like a handful of dates, but she's clearly jealous. Uh, yeah, which I don't think is very fair because she's always dating men every time Kavos sees her. I understand that like that's your emotion, but I don't think you can. You don't really have an argument here. The same way that Kavos doesn't really have an argument about Master Ash. Exactly. They're both doing the exact same things. And so she asks him, do you bring them roses? And, you know, she's kind of hurt and angry because she, one, wants him to be better than all the other guys, but only for her. Right. And so... She doesn't want him to be with the other people. It's kind of the same way where, like, she'll accept, like, the gold and the flowers from the men, but she only appreciates Kavoth's gifts because he's the one who gives her personal gifts. Yes. And now the tables have turned and Denna doesn't like it. I don't think that's necessarily fair. No, I don't think it's fair either. But again, when people are like in love and stuff, they're very irrational. Headstrong? Headstrong. Yeah. And while Kavoth and Denna are kind of having their bickering back and forth, Kavoth offers to carry her across the water to dry off. Because she's trying to get down from the rock and like slipping as they're having this whole conversation. She goes, another seven words. What should a woman do? And poor Kavoth, because he, he was intending it to be more of like a playful tone. But he says, love me. And uh, it's too serious. Badly. It's too sincere eye contact. It's too intent. Denna's like, no, no, like not that trap for me. I'll not be one of the many. And like. Thankfully, this, she plays it off. But this was Kavolf's like big fear, like coming true. But like he tried to make a joke of it anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't really coming true. Ah, it's just like the conversation is out of hand. Yeah, and she even says like, "Don't speak to me." It's just they're having this like awkward like, "Wait, what'd you say? What? Who? What?" And then yeah. Kavolf's watching Denna fiddle with her hair, and she braids it into something that says like, "Don't speak to me." Yeah. Or I think the body language itself is just as clear as day saying, don't speak to me. Oh, okay. I thought she'd like braided it into her hair, but it's probably more the body language. And that at this point, Kavoth is like, oh, I forgot. I have something for you. He's obviously going to get this the ring. This is a last ditch effort to save this conversation that went completely wrong. And poor Kavoth, because Dana's like, you too. I thought you were different. And Kavoth is saying like, you know, I really hope I am. Where he presents the ring. Oh, man. And Denna's really happy to have it back. Yes. She is. And so she's like, how did you ever get it back? And Kavo says he gets it from Ambrose. And she's just like, oh, well, thank you so much. And it's so tough because Kavoth had this ring for like almost a year. And he kept daydreaming and fantasizing about the moment he was finally going to give it back to her. And it just doesn't play out the way he had envisioned. And it's just their relationship. They can't quite get it together. And that's kind of heartbreaking to me because mm -hmm. I know they both have their own flaws and everything else, but if they could just get outside their own way, they could make a, a good go of it. I agree. I think it's one of those things where it's like half the allure of the other person for them is the witty banter. It's the like, keep you on your toes, will we, won't we kind of thing. Yes. And that makes that fun and spicy and exciting for them because it's a very like tenuous type of relationship, but you can't exist forever in that way. And the next logical thing to do is like, be honest and tell the person how you feel and they will either say like, yes or no. Yes. But that will get rid of that kind of like flirtiness, I think. Like when you in a the normal relationship, you would go from like flirting to dating. And like when you're dating, it's... It's not all flirting. Like, you have normal, casual conversations. You're not witty and, like, fun and on all the time. Yep. And it seems like they just can't get past that step because every time they try to turn that corner, it sours. I don't know why, but something always goes wrong. Yep. And um, there's actually a really important line right here with that, too. It says, while Denna was touching my hand, she wasn't holding it, and there's a world of difference. <sighs> and she even says, the weather's turning, which, yeah, you know, the weather is, like, getting dark but i think that's the symbolism though yeah of like the relationship like the weather's turning it's it's not the time it was sun now it's rain and as we left the clouds cast their shadows across the field and it's again more personification of just 
you were getting close, but it just wasn't the right time. It's never the right time for them. And I think even in a world where they didn't have all their like other things going on, I still feel like this would happen to them. Yeah, it's just I think that's part of the tragedy. It's a very flirty thing. And like you can only flirt with it for so long. Not like with each other, but like this relationship. Yeah. If anything, more flighty than flirty. Yeah, a little bit. So. Kind of a sad set of chapters for Kavoth. He's not doing his best in school. No. His stuff with Denna's rough. And even though everything is going really well, he's not getting any more answers right at the end of the book. He talks to Kilvin about the sword. He didn't get any information. He talked to the Chancellor about learning Yilish, and he's not like making any headway there. So it feels like a little bit of a dead end right at the end of the book. Yes. But also... But I feel like it's an appropriate conclusion. Right. And I feel like amongst everything that's transpired, it's realistic because you can't just have all these crazy actions and events and successes and... And then just keep going and going and going and going. Life is not linear. There are moments of stagnation and regression and pause. And neither of these books is a particular cliffhanger. Like, despite how much we anticipate book three, it's not like oh, I opened a door and Cinder was there and like, boom, end of book. Yeah. <laughs> like, or like, I found out who Dennis' patron was. End of book. Yeah. Or surrounding Ori was bright blue flame. Like, <gasps> no. There's no huge cliffhanger. Almost in the same way that like the Harry Potter books, like it's a very clear linear path of like, it takes place in a school year. The conflict's at the end. You have the final feast as the wind down and then everybody goes home. And there's yeah. never like a... It ends on an explosion or like a character's dead or anything that yeah. could leave you really as a cliffhanging end. But we still have one set of chapters left. So I'm sad. I am <laughs> I'm sad. very sad. I'm sad the book's ending. <sighs> it's just a wonderful story. Just such compelling characters. And it's been truly such a joy just to dissect everything and discuss fan theories and exciting prospects of what might happen in the future of this series. There's so much that's going to happen. Unfortunately, we have no idea when book three will be coming out. So in the meantime, we will just wrap up Wiseman's Fear. We will absolutely be putting out periodic fan theory episodes. We and still have to do our History of Temerin. And our History of Temerin episode. So there will still be King Killer content on the horizon. Right. That's what started this podcast. So it will be definitely prevalent throughout the podcast's life. Don't worry. And we'll always be excited to jump back into things. Should book three come out. Yes. Um, but there is slow regard and um, the, lightning, the tree. lightning tree. So we can for sure cover those on here as well. So there will be more content. Don't worry. And one thing just for us, it's fun just exploring new stories and collaborating with a lot of these new authors that have been kind enough to want to share their works with us. Oh, yeah. The podcast has introduced us to so many new authors and new books. It's been really, really fun. And we hope that other listeners out there, too, are taking the time to check out some of the authors who we're working with. Um, They've all been super great people. And I know we all love reading, so may as well. Look for more books now that uh, we're coming to the end of Wise Man's Fear. Yes. So be on the lookout for the final episode covering the Wise Man's Fear. And until next time, listeners, happy reading. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, And you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.